Yo, yo, what's good, everybody, friends and family, friends of the show? This is your boy Mel, a.k.a. Naldo Formula One, and you are now tuned in to the Naldo Formula One podcast. This is going to be episode eight, but this is a special episode. This is going to be the first of a series of episodes where I'm going to basically fully break down the sport that is called F1, Formula One, the sport that I've fallen in love with over the past couple of years, and I'm hoping that you guys can rock with it, too, so... Basically, what I'm going to do over the course of this series is I'm just going to explain F1 as a sport, how it works, um, a little bit of the history and the drivers, the teams, how the championships are won, how points are scored, some of the basics of racing, that sort of thing. So really, if you guys ever have any questions, just hit me up on my social medias. They're all at Naldo Formula One. They're all going to be linked in the description and all of that good stuff. So I do have some questions today that I'm going to get into a little bit later from some fans and personal family members and friends and stuff like that. So let's just go ahead and jump straight in. So what is Formula One? Why should you be interested in Formula One? How does it work? Basically, what makes it a sport all that good stuff so let me just go ahead and break it down from from the beginning so formula one is an international racing championship series that spans from about march of the year to about december so it works throughout the majority of a calendar year and they go anywhere from 20 ish to about 25 races on any given season, at least during the modern day. Back in the day when Formula One first started, it was definitely less races than it is now, and the point system is a little bit different, but I'll get into that in a different episode where I'll break down the history of Formula One as a sport. I don't really want to bore y'all too much with that, at least starting out. So Formula One has been around for a long, long time, over 75 years, I think over almost over 100 years. So... It's It started way back in the day in Europe and has grown tremendously over the last hundred or so years and has really become a staple of the racing community. It's basically like the top of the top as far as motorsports and motorsports being racing, anything that, has to, that involves racing with a motor. Basically, Formula One, as far as car driving cars and racing cars, is the top of the top. That's where everything starts and ends if you're a race car driver you probably want to drive in formula one at some point so just to basically explain how formula one is operated and constructed so it's basically damn near a traveling circus so you'll hear a lot of like commentators of formula one historians refer to it as a traveling circus because these teams will basically get all of this equipment, all of the cars, all of the staff members, mechanics, engineers, um, team executives, pack up all of this stuff and trailer it or fly it across the entire world over the course of the season. So, I mean, they're racing everywhere from Bahrain in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia to here in the U.S. and Austin, Texas and Miami, uh, the U.K., France, Japan, uh, China in certain years so they're they're literally all over the world and so there are 10 Formula One teams those Formula One teams being Red Bull Racing, Scuderia Ferrari, Mercedes AMG, 
Alpine, McLaren, Haas, Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, Williams, and um, and Haas, Haas Formula One team. So those are all of your teams. Just to give you the breakdown, there are 20 drivers total. So there are two drivers per team in Formula One. And that creates an interesting dynamic because basically your teammate is your biggest rival, if that makes sense. So you're competing not only against the rest of the field and the other, I guess, 18 drivers, not including your teammate, but you're also competing directly against your teammate. And it's the best measuring stick for a Formula One driver is their teammate because you two are driving the exact same car. You're in equal machinery because each Formula One team constructs their own car. So that's why they're called constructors. And that's why the team championship for Formula One is called the constructors championship because each team constructs their own car. So all of the Formula One teams are not driving the exact same car. Now there are regulations and that's where the formula in Formula One comes from. It's basically a breakdown of exactly what the car what guidelines the car has to follow now how you interpret those guidelines is completely up to you as long as you're not pushing past the guidelines and breaking rules but the teams construct their their own car by themselves now there are they can share engines and that's what you would call an engine supplier so let's just use mercedes for an example mercedes supplies three teams on the grid or no actually four teams on the grid including themselves so mercedes provides engines for themselves their own team then they supply engines for the mclaren racing team and the Williams racing team as well as the Aston Martin racing team. I don't know if I mentioned them when I was listing the teams, but Aston Martin is also one of the Formula One teams. So teams can share engines, but they have to build the chassis, the actual car themselves. So just to break down a race weekend, a race weekend basically occurs from Thursday to Sunday. So Thursday is usually media day. That's when the drivers will come and meet with all the media, do their interviews, uh, talk about what their expectations are for the races over the course of the weekend. And then Friday is practice day. So Friday there are two practice sessions for the most part. I won't get into like sprint races and stuff like that. I don't want to complicate things too much. But on a basic average race weekend, there are two practice sessions on Friday where they get to come in, test the car, make sure the setup works for that specific track because each track is a little bit different and requires a little bit different things from the cars. And I'll kind of explain how the cars work and how that basically meshes with practicing and stuff. But the two practice sessions will occur on Friday and that'll allow teams to go around for about an hour in each session and figure out what setup works best um, where they're weak at a certain part of the track, where they're, they have an advantage, and basically get ready to compare themselves and get ready for the qualifying session on Saturday. So Saturday, there is one practice session, a short practice session on uh, Saturday morning before qualifying, and then there's a, usually about three hours between the practice session on Saturday morning and the qualifying session on Saturday afternoon, depending on where you're at in the world. It may be the afternoon or the morning for the, for the most part in the U S where I'm at, it's in the morning. 
and your Saturday qualifying session will set the order for the race on Sunday. So you basically want to set your fastest laps possible on Saturday during qualifying in order to have the highest starting position in the race on Sunday. So there are three sessions inside of a qualifying session so there's q1 q2 q3 so whenever you're watching a qualifying session um, during a race weekend you'll hear the commentators referring to it as q1 or q2 or q3 or hey this driver didn't make it into q2 or didn't make it into q3 so basically what that does it's it's basically a staggered elimination of the slowest drivers up into the q3 session so in the Q1 session, all 20 drivers will go out and try to set the fastest laps possible. And the slowest five drivers, so position 16 to position 20, will be eliminated into out of that Q1 session, and they won't make it through into Q2. And the same goes for Q2, so positions 11 through positions 15 will be eliminated from the Q2 session. They won't move on to Q3. And Q3, commonly referred to as the top 10 shootout, is basically an all-out battle for what is called pole position or first position in qualifying. So if a driver earns or wins pole position, that means they'll start first in the race on Sunday. And pole is a really coveted position because you have the biggest advantage. You don't have to pass as many cars to try to win the race. And you're also you're not putting yourself in as much danger because when you at the start of the race is the most dangerous time of the race because all the cars are really really compacted together and everything is so close especially going into the first couple of turns a lot of times you're side by side with two even three other drivers going into uh, the turns and battling for positions and that sort of thing so you want to start as high as possible because that gives you an advantage. And as the race goes on, normally the cars will spread out based on the speed of the driver and the car itself. Uh, the rate, the times will spread out and the drivers will spread out along the course of the race. But back to qualifying. So the top 10 shootout is a, exactly what I what is called a top 10 shootout for pole. They're battling for that first position and trying to qualify as high as possible. So no points are earned for, for qualifying. They're only earned during the race. So qualifying is important, but it's not everything because you can still make up for a lot of that during the race on Sunday. But also, obviously, you just want to put yourself in the best position possible for the race on, on Sunday. So then we go to Sunday. Sunday is the big boy, the race. This is where all the points are earned. This is where legends are made. This is where championships are won during the race on Sunday. So the race can usually go anywhere from 50 to 75 laps, depending on the track. So I think they have a set runtime of either two and a half or three hours for a race. And a race cannot be longer from start to finish from when the five red lights go out to the checkered flag, it cannot be longer than I believe. I believe it's three hours. But normally, without any red flags or any of that thing, sort of thing, we don't really have any issue with those run times. But 
the races on Sunday. So five red lights go out and it's an all out battle from start to finish to try to fight for points. So points are earned for the top 10 positions in a race. So the top 10 finishers will earn, earn points and it's a sliding scale based on where you're finishing. So first position will earn 25 points. Second position will earn 18 points. Third position will earn 15 Fourth position will earn 12. Fifth position will earn 10. Sixth position will earn 8. Seventh position will earn 6. And eighth position will earn 4. Ninth position will earn 2. And tenth position will only earn 1. So as you can see, that sliding scale gets is really big at the top, and then it starts to get closer as you get to the lower level point so obviously finishing first is going to put you at a humongous advantage as opposed to finishing like p8 or p9 and those points add up really really quickly like if i go over the standings you'll see how much those points start to add up and where the gap is between the top teams and top drivers versus like the midfield or the back markers the back markers being the teams at or at the end just backing up the field basically so you're battling for those points on a Sunday. And then there's also one additional point that is earned for the fastest lap in the race. So whoever sets the fastest timed lap at any given point during the race, as long as you finish within that top 10, you will earn an additional point. So if you set the fastest lap, but you finish 11th or lower, you're not going to get that point. But if you finish 10th or higher, you'll get an additional point added on to your tally for the weekend so basically the maximum amount of points one driver can earn is 26 for the weekend and then the teams earn points based on the combination of their two drivers so let's say one driver finishes first and the other driver finishes 10th with the fastest lap so the team would earn 27 points for that race for both of those positions, so you just add the two points positions together to get the points that the team receives for the race weekend. So championships are won basically as in adding up all of those points, tallying up all those points over the course of the entire season. So this year we have 22 races, I believe. They took out Russia for um, political reasons and for basically social reasons. Obviously, we all know what's going on. With that, so they ended up taking out the race in Russia this year. So there's only 22 races. And so the championship will be decided based on the tally of all of those races put together for the teams and the drivers. So there are two championships to be won. The Constructors' Championship is the one for the teams. And the Drivers' Championship is obviously the one for the drivers. This is the one that everybody cares about. The Drivers' Championship is the one that everybody wants. It's the one that the fans care about, the drivers care about. I mean, don't get me wrong. The teams want to win the championship because it it shows how well that they've put together a team and how consistent they can be as a team. But also, they really care more about the drivers' championship. That's really where legends are, are made. So let's just get into basically the – really the basics of, of how to get into Formula One if you're looking to get into it and where to watch, things to, to check for that'll basically pique your interest 
for Formula One, if this is something that sounds appealing to you. I think it's really exciting because, I mean, these guys are battling at over 200 miles an hour at any given point. The amount of forces that they go through in the corners, they're pulling four, five, six Gs in certain corners on the calendar. And these are they're damn near like fighter pilots. It's, it's almost that same mentality, and they're they're fearless, man. They'll be centimeters and millimeters away from other drivers going 150, 160 miles an hour plus with no fear, and stuff like that excites me, and it, it's, it's really admirable to watch. If you watch a really good race, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And so basically you're trying to get into Formula 1. Is, for me, it was pretty easy, so – I mean, I had been seeing it and I've heard about it before, but never really knew what it was about. Kind of probably like a lot of you guys watching this or listening to this. It, the easiest way I can say to get into Formula One and break it down and explain it with a visual would be to watch Drive to Survive, the Netflix series. So if you have some decent amount of time on your hand and not really anything on your watch list, I definitely recommend watching Drive to Survive. It's um, a four-season series on Netflix. Now, I'd only recommend watching the first two seasons because after after that, season three and season four get a little bit iffy with the storytelling and how things are kind of put into context and creating different storylines and over-dramatizing things. I don't even know if dramatizing is a word, but we're just going to go with it. Over, like, dramatizing or dramatizing, whatever things throughout the 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 calendar and the year and creating storylines that may have necessarily not necessarily been representative of what happened throughout that season so i'd say first thing would easy be to watch drive to survive season one and two it creates a lot of anticipation and drama because you don't know really know what to expect and it does a really good job of explaining formula one outside of obviously what i'm doing right now it gives you a really good visual and basically something to latch on to for formula one the next best thing i would say would probably be to follow a few youtube channels and like other podcasts outside of obviously this one if you're listening to this please subscribe all that good stuff um leave me a rating review give me some feedback on my socials but other content creators such as like Aldas, shout out to like Aldas, A L D A S on YouTube, uh, Tomo F1, uh, the WTF1 podcast. I do have a little bit of gripes with them sometimes, but overall, they're a really solid group of content creators and a nice channel to get yourself into F1. They do a really good job of explaining certain things to uh, the casual fan. Um, let me think. Are there any other channels that the race is a really good one? Um, I think there's a couple donut media videos, <clears throat> donut media videos on uh, YouTube explaining F1 and a little bit of the history and backstories and stuff like that. Um, Cranky Yankee is another American F1 channel. He's really good. He makes some good content as far as Formula One, but there's a bunch of resources out there as far as content creators and stuff like that for Formula One. So shout out to all of those guys. I personally watch most of those, if not all of those channels and podcasts and stuff. So shout out to them. And that's probably the easiest way to get into to F1 as far as for beginners, if you know nothing, starting from the ground level, 
after that, I would definitely suggest tuning into a race weekend. So watching it, you don't necessarily have to watch the practice sessions. I don't really watch any of the practice sessions. I may tune in if I'm just bored and I don't really have anything to do. But normally they fall on a Friday, which means I'm probably going to be at work. So I don't necessarily watch all of the practice sessions. But definitely I would say tune into a qualifying session on Saturday and a race on Sunday. That way you can kind of get a feel for how the race weekend evolves and stuff like that because there's just a natural buildup and excitement throughout the race weekend. And qualifying is great to watch too because this that is the maximum that the cars are going to be. So the fastest that the cars are going to be is on Saturday during qualifying. So yeah, the the qualifying session on Saturday is the fastest that the cars will be at any point in the race weekend. They're got the engines tuned up to the max. They're using all of their battery power to try to set the single fastest lap possible. So qualifying session is super exciting, especially at certain tracks where qualifying is super important because it ends up being hard to pass during the race on Sunday. And so, yeah, for us Americans, the easiest way to watch a Formula One race weekend is to just tune into ESPN2. Uh, Formula One got that ESPN contract a few years back, and I think it's been huge for Formula One. That way you're not scouring the Internet trying to find a legit streaming site or that sort of thing. It's easy. You can just wake up, tune in on ESPN2, which most people have, even if you don't have cable, getting access to ESPN2 is usually pretty easy. So the qualifying sessions and the race are usually broadcast on ESPN2. That's where I catch it. So yeah, they, they've really made things super easy in the past, I would say, four to five years watching Formula One. So let me just get into the basics of actual racing and kind of explaining certain things and terminology that you'll hear throughout the race weekend and basically a little bit of driver etiquette and how things are operated and how rate how you can expect racing to go. So the one of the basics of racing obviously is overtaking. Overtaking is the action of passing another driver. So Overtaking is one of the fundamentals of Formula One and of racing as a whole. It's how you win races. You, nobody has ever won a championship without having to make overtakes. So overtaking can be done in a couple of different ways. So most of overtaking for Formula One is done on your main straights and your back straights on a track. Normally a track will have at least two straights on there pretty lengthy straights that will give driver an opportunity to use the overspeed of their car to pass another car. Another form of overtaking would be in the braking zone. So a braking zone is just that. It's a zone coming up to a corner after a straight where you're braking. And a lot of times heavy braking zones where you're having to go from a very, very high speed, 200 plus miles an hour to a very, very quote unquote low speed at sub 90 miles an hour is usually where a lot of overtaking is done and you'll hear a lot of drivers saying oh he's late on the brakes meaning that he's braking at a later point in during that zone as opposed to the driver that he's trying to pass and you'll hear them sometimes say oh he's 
oh, trying to overtake down the inside or around the outside. So that's just the positioning of the car. So if you're overtaking down the inside, um, you'll have that inside line going into a corner while forcing the driver that you're trying to pass to go outside and basically go the long way around. And sometimes that can work out. Sometimes it's not depending on just the layout of the track going, trying to overtake around the outside is just the opposite. You're using outside positioning to try to pass the car ahead of you. Now, for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, overtaking down the inside is usually easier because you can use the position of the car to kind of force your rival a little bit wider and off of their racing line. The racing line is just the imaginary line that is the fastest way around a track. So obviously Formula One tracks are not necessarily like NASCAR tracks where it's an oval. There are corners and chicanes, which are two corners put together and straights, and it's a mix of elevation change and all of that. So a racing line is just basically what line you can drive the car in that is the fastest possible for a race and for qualifying. And keep in mind, these cars are so high performance that they're battling for tenths of a second, sometimes even thousandths of a second can separate winning and losing, essentially. So the margins are very, very fine for Formula One. If you're a second time difference is an eternity in Formula One. So if you're measuring by seconds, just know you're going pretty slow. If you're seconds behind a driver or if you're seconds off of a driver's time ahead of you, then you're going pretty slow. The margins are super, super small in Formula One. And so a little bit of driver etiquette. So when you're overtaking a vehicle, if you're going down the inside you or even around the outside, the rule of thumb is to leave a car's width of space in between for the other driver to be able to operate. So basically, it's not allowed for you to try to pass a driver and cut cut them off or try to basically squeeze the space off of the track and use the entire track and not leave them any space to operate. It's dangerous. These guys are battling at very, very high speeds and very, very fragile cars. And we've definitely seen our fair share of deaths in Formula One, not so much recently, but definitely back in the day. But at the end of the day, these are, it's still a day, very dangerous sport. So etiquette is a lot for Formula One drivers. And you'll see Formula One drivers get very heated over the radio when certain, uh, when their rivals will push the limits of that etiquette and push the limits of what's fair racing and what's not. And most of the drivers, if you ask them, they'll tell you, we, we, we want hard but fair racing. So they want to hard battle their rivals, but they want it all to be in good, clean fun, basically. Um, so that's a little bit of, of etiquette. Some etiquette during um, like practice sessions or during qualifying is that if you're on an in-lap or an out-lap, so an in-lap would basically be after you set your timed lap or your, your flyer or fast lap, there's a bunch of different terms for it. You're doing a cool down lap to get ready to come back into the pits. You want to make sure to keep an eye out for drivers around you that are on their fast lap and you don't want to block them. That's bad driver etiquette and that can lead to a penalty. So you don't want to block 
the drivers behind you that are trying to set a fast lap that's not legal so if i set a fast lap and i know my rival is behind me i can't be in the way of him trying to set his fast lap during a qualifying session so that's another point of driver etiquette uh, i'm trying to think of some other stuff so um as far as like defending there's some there's some etiquette for defending as well. So defending, you basically the rule of thumb is that you are al only allowed to make one defensive move during the course of an interaction with another driver. So say a common move for defending is to move to the inside of the track to defend the inside line. So if you're if me and my rival are flying down a straight and he's coming up behind me and he's right behind me using the slipstream to try to gain some speed I can move over to the right hand side to defend the inside and now that is my move to defend so if I move to the right hand side and he start he's still gaining speed on me I can't move back to the left to cut him off that's illegal and so that would be bad driver etiquette now sometimes drivers get away with it and they like to push the lines of what's legal and what's not legal but that's how you win races sometimes like pushing the limits is how these guys end up on top and how the teams end up pushing the best performance out of their cars but there's always a fine line between what's fair and what's not fair so maybe some future videos and stuff like that i'll show examples of where that line is so you guys can kind of see what's fair and what's not fair and kind of get a full understanding of how the etiquette works and the more you watch racing the more you'll understand that certain things are allowed and certain things are not another piece of etiquette would be like weaving on a straight to defend so slipstream is a big thing in formula one on straights and basically what slipstream is is if you're driving down a straight in a straight line you're punching a hole in the air for the car behind you so there's less wind resistance for the car behind you so a lot of times it allows the car behind you to go faster and so what drivers will do a lot of time to break the slipstream is they'll weave back and forth on the straight so they'll kind of snake back and forth down the straight to try to break the the slipstream behind them now that's not legal now sometimes drivers get away with it like we saw max verstappen get away with it in abu dhabi of last year in the championship decider but some a lot of the times they won't get away with that depending on the situation so and the people who are in charge of regulating that would be the stewards and the race director so starting as of 2022 there are two race directors and they alternate race weekends and they're in charge of basically just monitoring the race controlling the safety car when that's deployed um, the stewards are in charge of monitoring driver action so if a driver does something illegal like cut a corner or cut a driver off or crash into a driver or do something illegal or bad etiquette basically there the stewards are in charge of monitoring that and they will hand out either time penalties or position penalties based on when that um, penalty occurs so if like a penalty occurs in qualifying like say I cut somebody off during my qualifying session that can net me a grid penalty so what a grid penalty is basically like a grid drop so if i cut a driver off usually that's a three place grid penalty so if i qualified first i would now have to start fourth because of that penalty 
And during the race, a lot of times they'll give out time penalties, whether it be a three second, a five second, a 10 second penalty. And that penalty can either be applied to your race time at the end of the race, or you can serve it in the pit stops. So the way, two ways that you can serve that is basically if you do it during the pit stops, you'll go into the pit stop, go into your pit lane. You have to sit there for the allotted amount of time for the penalty. So three, five, 10 seconds. And, the, and your team can't touch the car until that five seconds or that time is up. And then they'll change your tires or change your wing or whatever. And you'll be on your way to continue the race. If you do it toward, if you add it on at the end of the race, basically it'll just drop you based on the time where you finish. So if I finish first and the driver in second place finishes three seconds behind me, but I have a five second penalty, now I finish second instead of finishing first, if that makes sense. So that's just a little slight rundown of penalties don't want to get too in-depth with that if you have questions about these kind of any of these topics just hit me up on my twitter or if you know me just message me personally and i'll answer them probably on the following podcast um strategy we'll go ahead and break that down real quick get over that um and pit stops and that sort of thing and then i'll answer some of the questions that i've been asked so far so strategy is basically how a race is going to be conducted by a team. So it's mandated that you have to make at least one pit stop during a race if you're on dry tires. So if you're on dry tires, which is 90% of the time, then you have to make at least one pit stop and change compounds of tires during that race to a different one. So we have you have three compounds available to you throughout the race so you have a soft tire which is usually marked with red markings on the tires that's your most aggressive compound is going to net you the fastest possible speeds but they don't last very long and so your medium tire is usually a very balanced tire it's a balance between having good performance and having longevity your hard tire is um for mostly longevity for long stints throughout the race and it might may not necessarily be as fast now this also varies on track and the temperature at the track and the weather conditions and that sort of thing but this is just kind of a general explanation of tire compounds so for the most part in qualifying you'll only see drivers use soft tires because you only got to set one lap and you're trying to go as fast as possible for one lap but in the race you have to think about the longevity of the race so it may not necessarily be to your advantage to put on soft tires all the time because you'll have to stop more often and you lose time in the pit stops so you the teams have to find a balance between what time to pit during the race what tires to put on at any given point throughout the race so that kind of is the basics of strategy pit stops are pretty simple so there's a pit lane on at every single track where drivers will leave the main track they'll go through the pit lane at a limited speed they'll come into their garage or their pit box change tires and we'll continue on with the race so pit stops are pretty simple uh, not too much to get into right there and the strategy is basically just the combination of timing of pit stops which tire compounds to put on at which 
at any given point of the race. And these race strategists for these teams, there's literally have teams full of people for each um, constructor that will plan out and map out and have all this scientific data that goes completely above my head that I don't even fully understand about what's the best way to go throughout a race strategy. And obviously these teams make mistakes and that can change a lot for a driver. And that's where the sort of where you realize that formula one is not just an individual sport. It is about the driver and the driver is the most responsible for the results. But a lot of the stuff that happens is out of a driver's control. So, and they have to take into account like potential safety cars and that sort of thing. And so the safety car is basically a vehicle that is used to basically slow down the racing field in case an incident happens. So if somebody crashes on track, they may deploy a safety car in order to slow the pack down. That way it's safe to allow humans to go onto the track to recover the the broken down car so that you're not sending people and machinery onto a track where cars are flying by going 200 miles an hour because obviously that would be a safety risk so there's a full safety car which is an actual vehicle that will come onto the track and slow everybody down um in nascar it's known as a pace car that sort of thing most motorsports have some sort of safety car and then there's also the virtual safety car which is basically just like a timing screen that will come on to each driver's like display on their their steering wheel so each driver has like a little small led display on their steering wheel where they have a bunch of information about the car and what's going on in the race and so that will inform them okay you need to slow down and drive at a certain speed under the virtual safety car so we can fix whatever incident happened on the track so that's basically a brief explanation of the safety cars and how that works so Let's just get into the questions um, that I got asked, and then I'll go ahead and get out of here. That'll be it for part one. I don't want to just do information overload. I feel like I am overloaded with information, and I know what I'm talking about. So yeah, I can definitely understand why this would probably be a lot of information for you guys. So one of the questions that I got is explaining asking me basically to explain what a livery is so a livery is basically the a design of any given car so obviously it's up to each team how they design their car and what colors they want it to be and what they what it looks like so a livery is basically the combination of paint or lack of paint finishing on the paint design and sponsorship placement throughout a car so you'll see the formula one cars with a bunch of different paint jobs and a bunch of different colors and they'll place the sponsors on the car based on either how important that sponsor is to them or just how they feel it fits into the design of the car so basically just an overall design of the car is what a livery is called so if you ever hear them uh, announcers or drivers referring to liveries and stuff like that that's what that is uh, it's basically just the design of the cars uh, next question would be, um, 
what is basically F1's target audience moving forward? Like, who are they trying to appeal to? And these next couple of questions came from um, my brothers, man, my personal close friends. So shout out to y'all for um, interacting, man, and doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, so basically F1's target audience, in my opinion, in the past has always kind of been older, rich, white men for lack of a better term i'll just go out come out and bluntly say it um f1 is traditionally a very rich man sport the majority of f1 drivers aside from a small select few have come from very wealthy very well-off backgrounds but nowadays i feel like formula one is definitely trying to target a younger audience probably around my age i'm 26 i'll be 27 at the end of this coming up week but Probably a younger crowd, I think, that didn't necessarily grow up watching racing, but with them, the way they're advertising it, putting on Netflix and that sort of thing, I think that they're trying to appeal to a younger crowd and get younger people into F1 and try to make it a little bit more accessible. And a lot of drivers have been a part of and created programs to try to get kids that aren't as well off into uh, motorsports and Formula One because this is super expensive, super hard field to get into. I mean, um, I saw a video a while back, a while back that basically kind of gave an estimated breakdown of how much it would cost you to even get into Formula One before you even got there, and so throughout your junior career and go karts and stuff like that, you can uh, families and people have spent upwards of a million dollars just to get into formula one before you even get there so it's a very expensive sport to try to get into without any kind of outside help or sponsorship or anything like that um so i feel like f1's target audience has definitely come down in age demographic over the past couple of years especially with them advertising on like espn and that sort of thing i mean you'll see if you ever watch like a basketball game or a football game or any kind of sporting event on ESPN, a lot of times in the ticker at the bottom, they'll put, uh, they'll advertise for the Formula One race weekend. And honestly, I'd never seen that until probably a couple of years ago. So I definitely feel like F1 is moving towards a younger demographic. But traditionally, I guess, it's definitely been older, rich, white men. And it's been hard for Americans to get into F1 just due to the timing of it because most of the races occur overseas and in Europe. So a lot of times the races end up being pretty early in the morning. So, like, for me, your average race qualifying is probably at 8 or 9 in the morning and the race is probably at, like, 9 or 10 in the morning. And I'm in U.S. Central time. So for like my boy, shout out to my boy Terrence, who's on the West Coast, who's two hours behind me. That would be even earlier for them. So I definitely understand why it would be hard to get into F1. But um, with some more races coming to America and there is a couple of races, even in Central, South and North America that fit within our time schedule. There's definitely a lane for us Americans and um western hemisphere people to uh watch formula one all right so next question um who do i think are some of the most underrated and overrated drivers that is a, a very interesting question i feel like i'm going to this is definitely going to cause a little bit of controversy so just because i feel like a driver is like overrated doesn't necessarily mean i think they're a bad driver i just think 
the way that they are looked at may may construe them to be overrated. So I guess for overrated, just to name a couple, I think I think I probably like Orlando Norris would probably come to mind. Um, McLaren's driver, for those of you who don't know, I feel like Lando Norris is a he's a good, really good driver. Still has a lot to improve on. And he, Lando is still super young. I think he's only like 22 or 23. So obviously this can change, and this is not like an indictment for Lando, but I definitely think as far as people's thoughts and ideas of Lando, as far as being a future world champion and stuff like that, I think he has the talent, but I think he still has yet to put together enough consistent performances to give him that kind of moniker so he's probably the first one that comes to mind um i'm trying to think of who else maybe maybe mick schumacher um mick schumacher's uh one of the drivers for Haas this current year um he's had some really decent performances um if you don't know anything about the schumacher name one of the most legendary drivers in the history of the sport is Michael Schumacher. He's Mick's father. So obviously the namesake had a lot to do with him getting into Formula One. And obviously that's not the first time that's happened. That's pretty much a trend in Formula One. But I think Mick has talent, but he still has a lot of work to do. As far as underrated drivers, uh, I think the first name that comes to mind would probably be like Esteban Ocon and Carlos Sainz. Esteban being one of Alpine's drivers, the Frenchman. I think he's really consistent. He does a really good job um, putting in performances, especially the past two years, and has really been going at Fernando Alonso, who's one of the greatest drivers of all time. So Esteban Ocon is probably the first name that comes to mind. Carlos Sainz, uh, one of Ferrari's drivers, he's great too. Um, I think that he's put in some fantastic performances over his career. And I definitely don't think he gets enough credit. I think he's underrated in the sense that he doesn't necessarily get the credit, but I wouldn't necessarily put him up there with, like, the top three or four drivers on the grid. All right, so why should Americans watch F1 versus NASCAR? This is another question from a personal friend. Um, So I think I'm actually not the most familiar with NASCAR, so – I can't necessarily put this into complete perspective and I'd love for anybody with knowledge on NASCAR to basically give me some feedback so I can learn a little bit more. But a lot of times I think F1 is a little bit more exciting than NASCAR just because from what I've heard, NASCAR has a lot of like gimmicky uh, things throughout their racing and stuff like that. And also NASCAR tracks are just pretty much a straight oval. So the guys are just really just going around in circles constantly for God knows how many laps, two, 300, 400 laps, whatever. And for F1, the circuits are a lot different. There's a lot of cornering involved, tight corners. Um, the tracks are definitely not just oval shaped. So, and the, the car's performance is completely different. So, uh, NASCAR cars, stock cars, they make a shit ton of power. I think they sound great. They're extremely fast as far as like straight line speed or like oval speed, but like there's nothing compares to an F1 car as far as going around a complete circuit. That's not necessarily just an oval. F1 cars uh, create a tremendous amount of what is called downforce. So anybody with an engineering background knows what downforce is, but it's basically just using the basically the air 
to create weight to hold the car down to the track essentially it's been theorized that f1 or f1 cars could drive upside down in a tunnel at full speed that's the how much downforce they create so as fast as they go and the way the cars are built it crazy basically creates a suction and it's the force is so powerful that they could in theory nobody's obviously ever tried it because it would be too dangerous but they could theory create so much force that the car would be stuck to the top of a tunnel so um that downforce is used is the reason why they can go around corners at such high speeds i mean if you look at videos of f1 cars going around cops corner at silverstone track that's probably the fastest corner in the entire calendar and it's damn near a 90 degree corner and they're taking that corner at 170 180 miles an hour and the car looks like it's on rails like they turn the wheel and the car just turns like with no issues i mean they're pulling like 6g through that corner which is insane so i think f1 is a in my opinion a much more intense sport and a much more rewarding sport to watch so i think that would probably be my answer to why people should watch f1 um as opposed to like nascar and this is no knock on nascar and i mean hell really you can watch both like i don't have any issue with that too so i don't think it has to be an either or thing uh, another one would be what are my top 10 drivers uh that i would rank personally so i think i'm gonna go about this two ways well one i'm gonna cut this down so i think i'm gonna make it five because there's 20 drivers so a top 10 would be damn near half the field so i don't necessarily think i want to rank half the field so i'm gonna do this in two different ways who i think is the best and then who are my personal favorites because i think those are two completely different things and I'm not going to do this in any particular order. I don't really feel like debating oh, who this guy is better than who. Because there's no real way to prove that unless the drivers are in the exact same car, which they never are other than teammates. So uh, as far as who I think the best drivers are on the grid, just off the top of my head, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, uh, Charles Leclerc um, for Ferrari. Um, I think... This I, and I, man, these these last two drivers are actually kind of hard. Um, as far as who I think is the best, I would have to say Fernando Alonso definitely deserves a spot in that top five. Even though I don't personally care for Fernando, but his talent speaks for itself. So I think I'd have to put him in there, and I'd probably have to put George Russell, um, Lewis's teammate at Mercedes. I think he would probably crack my top five as far as talented drivers and who I think the best drivers are on the grid, who I think if you give them a championship car, I think if you give any of those guys a championship car, they're probably going to win the championship that year. Um, now, as far as who my personal favorites are, um, Lewis Hamilton for sure probably takes the cake. Um, I mean, I got Lewis merch everywhere. Um He's kind of like the rider, like who, I, who I'm who i going to cape for. I don't give a damn. I'm biased. Uh, I'll accept that. But Lewis Hamilton is the first that comes to mind. Um, Charles Leclerc would probably be second. George Russell would probably be third. Um, I think Lando. Lando would probably crack my top five. 
as far as favorite drivers and I think Pierre Gasly, man. I think Pierre Gasly for uh, Alpha Tauri is probably cracks my top five as far as favorite drivers. And all those guys are talented too, but I think there's a definitely a complete difference from who I think uh, is the best versus who are my favorite drivers. So, yeah, appreciate that question, man. Um, that was actually a tough one. I actually really had to think about that. This uh, this next one is going to be a tough one too. So, uh, for the last question, it's a uh, uh, basically a comparison from NBA stars to F1 drivers. So um, this one's actually pretty tricky. Uh, this one came from a friend as well. And I definitely think this is definitely gonna one that's going to be food for thought. Uh, I think I'll, I'll just probably go down the entire grid and name some drivers and who I would compare them to as far as like NBA stars or NBA players. I might just do like professional sports in general, like football and basketball, because some drivers I think have a better basketball comparison as opposed to like a football comparison. So um, let me just pull up all the drivers. I don't want to leave anybody out and it might be easier for me to identify them. Um, based on seeing them so just off the top of my head i don't really have like a an nba comp for lewis hamilton but i think if i had to comp anybody it'd probably be tom brady like lewis hamilton is kind of like the tom brady of um uh formula one i mean just completely dominant seven world championships should be eight but we're not going to get into that um yeah i'm still salty but Lewis Hamilton is definitely his best comp would be like um, Tom Brady. I guess if I had to do an NBA comp, it'd probably be LeBron. Um, the titles don't necessarily line up, but I think just as far as their impact to the sport and the fact that they've been become a bigger star than sport. I mean, Lewis Hamilton has more followers on Instagram than the Formula One page themselves. And he's one of the most followed celebrities, period. And he's like a cultural icon, fashion icon, all sort of things. The only black driver to ever race in Formula One and arguably the greatest. So, like, I would say if Michael Schumacher is like Michael Jordan, then Lewis would kind of be more so like LeBron. So, I guess that would probably be the best comparison that I would have to um, to uh, Lewis Let's go Max Verstappen. So Max Verstappen, I would probably say Giannis. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo would probably be Max's best comparison, kind of that next man up, the new face of the NBA or Formula One, kind of the guy who people are going to put at the top as of right now, may not necessarily – not necessarily over the course of their career or of history. And obviously they still have a lot to, both of them still have a lot to accomplish. Max is only 24 years old. Um, we actually share a birthday. So I think he'll be 25 and I'll be 27 on Friday. So kind of that next man up new face of the league or the sport type of deal. So that would probably be my best comp for Max. Um, let's see. Lando Norris. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc next. Charles Leclerc for Ferrari. Um, I think his best comp would probably be like a Luka Doncic. Um, kind of 
the golden boy superstar uh, had one of the best junior careers ever and Luca having one of the best like international careers ever before getting to um, the NBA and Charles has one of the most decorated junior careers before getting to Formula One um, is one of the youngest drivers to ever drive for Ferrari has the longest contract in the history of Ferrari which is the most storied um, Formula One team in history probably the most storied racing team in history um, probably a young superstar still makes a little bit of mistakes here and there um, but extremely likable easy to cheer for and you know that potential is there and if they get the right situation they'll definitely take their team to a championship so that's probably my best comp for for Charles uh, let's see who can I go to next? Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso is kind of. I think I think my best comp for Fernando would probably be like a KD, like a Kevin Durant. I think the talent is there. Like you can argue that they're probably the one of the most talented, if not the most talented, to ever play their sport. Or for Fernando's case, for driving in Formula One, uh, have a couple of titles. But nobody necessarily puts them in that GOAT conversation. They're kind of in that fringe. Like you like when you talk about best of all time and those top guys, you know Fernando is up there and you know KD is up there, but you don't necessarily rate them like up there with like the Michael Jordans and the LeBrons and the Kobe's and the Kareem's and that sort of thing. All right, so let's see. Let's move on. Um, Seb Vettel, speaking of Kobe Bryant, Seb Vettel, Sebastian Vettel, I think that Seb is probably his good, uh, his best comp would probably be Kobe Bryant. Um, extremely loved character, RIP Kobe, man, my favorite basketball player of all time. But Seb, both extremely loved characters, not necessarily while they were winning. So that's probably one of the reasons why I compare them so, so easily. Um, Sebastian has four world titles. He won all of those in the late to the late 2000s to early 2010s. I think he won his first one in 2000, actually in 2010, and then his last one was in 2013. And super competitive guys. Um, not necessarily putting in the performances towards the end of their career. Seb is retiring at the end of his career. We're all going to miss him. And he's kind of going on that retirement tour the same way that Kobe did. Um, yeah, I don't – actually, now that I'm looking at it, I don't think I'm going to comp all of these drivers. I'm just kind of going to do the big names. Um, but, yeah, Seb and Sebastian Vettel and Kobe. If you don't know anything about Sebastian Vettel, I definitely suggest you looking up some of his race highlights because he was one of the most dominant during his era and still holds the record for most race wins in a row with nine. But I think Max Verstappen could probably break that this season if everything keeps going according to the way that it's been going this season. Uh, let's see. Who else comes to mind? Um Daniel Ricardo, who is my comp for Daniel Ricardo? Another pop, really popular driver who, unironically, might be leaving the sport at the end of the season. Um, Daniel Ricardo might be like a Tracy McGrady, kind of as the first guy to come to mind. Um, now, Trace, their situations are a little bit different. Tracy, a lot of Tracy's non-success was due to injuries and stuff like that, but. I think that Dan, they both had the talent 
to be one of the best in their sport. Daniel is a nine-time race winner, I believe, either eight or nine-time race winner, which is a big deal in Formula One. There's a very short list of guys who have actually won that many races in Formula One. And Tracy had a lot of success during his NBA time period, but couldn't necessarily get over that hump and never ended up in the right situation to win that title or lead their team to a title and stuff like that. I think Daniel in those early years with Red Bull after Seb left to go to Ferrari and before Max Verstappen really emerged, I think that was probably his best time to try to win a title, but that was also in the middle of Mercedes dominance. So, yeah, um, I think that will probably be his best comp. Uh, the last one I'll do, I'll do two. I'll do Lando Norris and George Russell. So, George Russell, I think, would probably be a lot like Jokic. Um, Jokic, a young superstar, still yet to have proven things as far as, like, winning. And a lot of his early career was spent, like, on bad teams and didn't necessarily get the recognition, but you knew the talent was there. And now that they're in winning situations, um, you're starting to really see that that talent emerge and see them really become an icon in the sport. Uh, Jokic has won two MVPs in a row. And George Russell, this is his first year in Mercedes and a top team. And he's really been putting in the performances. He's been super consistent and has even outperformed the likes of Lewis Hamilton at certain points this season. So I think that George Russell has a good comp for for Jokic. Um, Lando Norris. Lando Norris, um, ironically, I think his probably his best comp would be like a LaMelo Ball off the top of my head. Like a super fun character. Uh, Lando's always kind of in the media and social media he's very engaged he games a lot he's twitch streams i mean the guy's like 22 so he's 22 23 years old he's in that generation of people who grew up with social media um very loved character by the fans and stuff like that um you know that there's talent there but some sometimes you feel like they have to like they still have yet to put it all together so I think Lando's best comp would probably be Lando or uh, LaMelo Ball. Uh, Just seem like they have a lot of fun playing the sport. So, yeah, man, I think that'll wrap up for for questions for this part one. Part two, I'll probably get into some more of the history of Formula One and just expanding on that a little bit more and kind of breaking down uh, some other topics. I'll kind of get my thoughts together and stuff like that. I feel like I'm starting to ramble. And once I hit that point of rambling, I feel like it's definitely time to, to shut it down. So yeah, man, um, I appreciate all the love, all the, uh, the questions that my people submitted, man. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to Wesley, Terrence, Danny, um, everybody that asked me questions. And if you want to see me cover any other topics throughout this series, uh, feel free to let me know and make sure you follow me at all of my socials, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, at Naldo Formula One on all of those. Um, This will probably be my first episode that ends up on YouTube. uh, So hopefully I can get that up in a timely manner. But yeah, man, I appreciate the love, man. Shout out to y'all. I appreciate y'all for listening and uh, hope you guys have a great week. Peace.